from whining to winning. The interview had just concluded. They looked around the room at one another and began to speak. One said, she is a winner. Another spoke up and said, I really liked the way she talked about potential. Another said, I feel like if we could just bring her on as a part of our team, she would make all of us better. She is a winner. Wouldn't you like to be known by that term? He's a winner. She's a winner. From whining to winning. Let's talk about the difference between those two words. It's interesting to whine and to win. The words are very similar. They sound almost alike. There's just a very subtle difference. They have the same vowel in the middle of both words. And yet, in wine, the vowel, I, is pronounced I, wine. It's got a long sound to it, as we used to learn in English class. Whereas, the word to win, the vowel, I, is I, a short sound. It's just that subtle difference of that one vowel that makes the difference in the meaning of the word, and what a difference that meaning is. So the words sound very, very similarly. There's just a very subtle difference between the two in the way we hear them, and yet the way we understand them, there is a vast difference. To whine and to win. A whiner versus a winner. In the 16th chapter of Exodus, our scripture for today, you have already heard that the whole congregation of Israel was whining. They were a bunch of whiners, which is incredibly ironic because just in the previous chapter, chapter 15 of Exodus, the whole congregation of Israel had been singing a song of victory. Listen to these words. In fact, it's interesting that the prophet Miriam, they say, in the 22nd verse, or sorry, the 20th verse of the 15th chapter of Exodus, we're told that the prophet Miriam, who is the sister of Aaron and Moses, is seen as a key leader of the people. And in this case, she's actually leading them in this song, this long chorus that they've been singing about the victory they've experienced. And listen to these words. Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Now, this is in the 15th chapter. Of course, the memory already is fresh. They have been delivered from bondage in Egypt. They have been moved through the Red Sea on dry land. The sea departed or, or parted, and the whole congregation of Israel moves from bondage into the direction of the land of promise in this miraculous parting of the Red Sea. They move into the wilderness, and they come upon this place in the 15th chapter called Marah, which means bitterness, because it's a huge pool of water that they kneel down and begin to try to drink from this pond and realize it's named Marah, bitterness, because the water is bitter and can't be drunk. And yet, in that moment, they've been delivered from bondage in Egypt, They've had the Red Sea parted miraculously, and now the water turns from bitter to sweet. 
another miracle. The people are saved by God's guidance, and it is an incredible testimonial to God's providential care of this congregation of Israel. And they sing a song of victory and gladness and celebration. And then in the 16th chapter, the whole congregation is whining. They're complaining because, yes, they're in the wilderness. Yes, it's hot. Yes, it's scary. Yes, it's dry. And now they come upon the reality that they're also hungry. Now, they've gotten their drink from marah, the bitterness, but then it turned to sweetness. Now they're hungry and they're complaining and they're whining and they're talking about if only we had stayed in Egypt, we could, we could die there as easily as we can die here. What's the point of this journey now? The whining in the wilderness, this difference between whining and winning. So we said already, it's just a subtle difference in the pronunciation, but it's a huge difference in how we interpret those two words and what they mean in the context of our lives. Some of you I know are teachers, and many of you have probably taught at various points, maybe vacation Bible school, or you've taught children in a Sunday school class, or you've had some experience in being with other people, and you have seen the difference it makes in a classroom, especially of children, if you just have one or two kids who are negative, who are whining. It generates a crowd psychology of people tend to gravitate in the direction of those loud, whining voices. And you teachers know, and anybody who's, who's, who's taught a group of, of children before, you know how frightening it can be when you see the balance of the class beginning to tilt in the direction of negativity and whining and complaining. But the converse is also true. What a difference it makes if just one or two of those children are positive. If they have a winning attitude. If they show a sense of compassion and understanding for the other children. If they show an eagerness to learn, if they actually are listening to the teacher, that too shifts the crowd's psychology so that the other children begin to follow the lead of those winners. Those kids who have a perspective that there's something here I need to learn. There's something here important that needs to happen. And the whole balance of the class shifts with that attitude from just a couple of kids. So the difference between the word wine and the word win, the sound is very subtle, as is the way we approach the difference in the way we can look at life and interact with one another and be followers of Jesus in just sometimes very subtle shifts in the way we look at the world, in the way we treat one another. Sometimes it just takes a very gentle movement in one direction over against another to lead us from being a whiner to a winner. In the case of this 16th chapter of Exodus, this story that unfolds 
If only one or two or three of these members of the congregation of Israel could have stopped for a moment and remembered, wait, God just delivered us from slavery. God just saved us from Egypt. God just parted the waters of the Red Sea and moved us through on dry land. We are headed in the direction of the promised land. God just changed the bitterness of the water to sweetness that saved our lives and gave us a sense of, of hope for the future. Surely now, after all these victories, God is going to be doing something good for us now, today, with our hunger. How about we have a little bit of faith? If just one or two of those voices could have been raised in the direction of hope and potential, what a difference that makes. It was true then, and it's true now. So let's talk for just a moment about the biblical basis of four ways to move from whining to winning. They're not that hard, and they won't take that long, but here they are, our four steps from whining to winning. We can become winners if we just look for the good. If just a couple of those folks in that congregation of Israel had remembered and had focused on the good that God had already done, they could have known that there's going to be good that's going to happen too. We're not forgotten. The parting of the Red Sea, the deliverance from Egypt, the song of Miriam, the sweetness of the bitterness that God transformed on our behalf. Look for the good. Stand for the right. In the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to be covering this in sort of a juxtaposition in a couple of weeks, putting the Exodus 20 chapter, as we move our journey through Exodus with the children of Israel, Exodus 20 is the Ten Commandments when Moses gets those on Mount Sinai from God. We're going to juxtapose that with Matthew chapter 5 through 7, which is the Sermon on the Mount, when, when Jesus, as the new Moses, brings forth the new law, the Sermon on the Mount, as opposed to the Ten Commandments from Mount Sinai. We'll talk about that more, but one of, the, one of the parts of that Sermon on the Mount is what we know as the Golden Rule. It's Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. And it's this famous saying that really stands as sort of the bedrock for how we stand for what is right. Stand for the right. It is, in everything, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This is a really hard time right now. This is a time where lots of things are happening and lots of questions are, are floating in the air. And there is this lingering question of what, what is the right thing right now? What is the right path for us as individuals, as churches, as a nation, and as a world community? To stand for what is right is a huge open-ended question mark right now for a lot of people. But for Christians, Jesus gives us a very solid groundedness in everything. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. If you're trying to figure out 
What is the right thing? Think about how it would feel to be her or to be him, to be in their situation, to be a person in, in that environment right now. What would that feel like? Look for the good. Stand for the right. And number three, work for the best. I've been so privileged over the years of being a pastor to be connected to amazing people and hear amazing stories and be exposed to incredible events and, and the way God works in people's lives. And in two different congregations prior to coming to First Baptist Decatur, uh, I, I remember these two different men, both from very different backgrounds and very different situations. One owned a, a motorcycle repair shop. The other was a CEO of a Fortune 500 company. Both of them became Christians later in life, and both of them talked to me openly about during the week, one working at a, owning and working at a motorcycle repair shop, and while he was working on motorcycles and, and thinking about what he needed to do for these repairs, he was also thinking about people in his Sunday school class and the lesson that he was going to be preparing for that Sunday. And that night, making phone calls to people in his class just to kind of check up on them. And the CEO of the Fortune 500 company. Same, exactly the same mindset of during the week, flying to different places across the country, checking on employees, uh, doing really important things a lot of us would, would, would think about. Uh, during the week, going to important places, being with important people, and yet having this perspective, like my friend who was a motorcycle repairman who owned that motorcycle repair shop, the CEO also thinking about the people in his Sunday school class, preparing his lesson during the week, looking for illustrations to help bring alive the Bible passages that he was wrestling with himself that he wanted to teach on Sunday morning. And both of them in different ways talked about how though their occupation kept them busy during the week, the real vocation, the calling of their hearts and their spirits was bigger and better and, and much more fundamental to who they were. They were working for what was best. They were really bringing their heart and soul and mind and spirit into a, a collectedness, a, a collection of a connection with the people in those classes that God had placed them with, interweaving their lives together in beautiful ways, working for what is best. So moving from a whiner to a winner, the words are just very, very similar in the way they sound, but it is a vastly different way of looking at the world. However, to get to that vast difference, it sometimes is just a subtle shift in the way we remember what God has done. The subtle shift of thinking about what it would feel like to be in that person's situation. The subtle shift of, of moving from working with a client face-to-face -face while at the same time keeping the perspective of knowing that you have this whole host of people that you love and care for and are thinking about and looking forward to being with on Sunday and calling during the week and checking up on them. To look for what is good, 
to stand for what is right, to work for what is best, and to share in what is sacred. Manna in the wilderness. The people were complaining now because they couldn't remember or chose not to remember all the things that God had done for them in just the previous few days. And now here they're hungry and they wonder what in the world they're going to do. God is going to take care of them. There will be provision for their need. And sure enough, manna. It's the Hebrew word that simply is forming a question. What is it? It is bread from heaven given in their time of need. It is provision for them in their moments where they couldn't care for themselves or at least didn't have the kind of, of faith they needed in that moment because they'd forgotten what God had done just a little bit before. Manna in the wilderness. They began together once again to learn God has not forgotten them. God has stayed with them. God is providing for them and therefore they, in this moment, in the wilderness, share in what is sacred. We pick up on this tradition from our Hebrew ancestors, partly remembering the Passover experience in raising the, the, the matzah bread, the unleavened bread that represents Passover in the Seder experience that Jesus and the disciples were remembering. But there's also the connectedness to this manna wilderness experience, too, where God provides for us when we are at our wit's end. And we are not whiners, but winners, when we can connect to the fact that God is in this with us. We are not alone. We may be in what feels like a wilderness. We may be feeling like we're surrounded by shadows and difficulties. And yet, even in the midst of COVID-19, even in the midst of political disarray and, and social unrest and, and racial injustice and all the things that, that seem to be weighing in on us and concerning us, Jesus brought together the disciples in a very similar time of need, reflecting on the Passover experience and the wilderness experience of manna. And Jesus raised in that difficult time for the disciples and now in this difficult time for us, the unleavened bread of Passover and the bread of the Lord's Supper that Jesus says, brothers and sisters, this is my body broken for you. Do not forget where you've been. Do not forget what God has done for you in the past and is doing for you now. Take this. And eat. And as you do so, remember me. And in the same way, Jesus took the cup and he raised it before them, also recalling the Passover experience, the bitterness of the Mara in the wilderness that turned to sweetness and offered a salvation experience for people who had no hope and then we're given new hope. In the same way, Jesus lifts the cup and says before them, this is the cup of the new covenant, filled with the wine that represents my blood, 
shed for you so that you no longer will have to worry about what tomorrow holds. This is the cup of the new covenant. Do this also in remembrance of me. Brothers and sisters, as we share in this time of communion and the Lord's Supper together, may you with all of us do your best to not be a whiner, but instead begin to be known as a winner because you look for the good, you stand for the right, you work for the best, and you share in what is sacred. Thanks be to God.